three, two, one. Never has there been a better time to be alive in human history. If you're not feeling it, you must discover why. Join Matthew Bolton in developing and applying a framework of objective optimism toward a flourishing life of meaning, health, and happiness. Here's your host, Matthew Bolton. All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mr. Brightside. This is Matthew Bolton, and this is part three of our What is Objectivism series. In part one, I just laid out really briefly kind of the history, uh, my own personal kind of history of what led me to think I needed a new concept of optimism to distinguish it from pessimism and subjective optimism. And then in the second episode, I really got into the meat of it, uh, where I put out the definition of what it is and what it isn't, and how it is really distinguished from pessimism and what I call here subjective optimism. And then I also gave some illustrative examples, um, including a baseball example where I had a, a hypothetical batter, and then they applied an approach of objective optimism, and then approach of pessimism, and approach of subjective optimism to an at-bat, and then see how other things being equal, they fared. And listening, thinking back on it, I can just hear my baseball boys going, but you do that all the time. You know, you're... You come back after an, you know a strikeout and say the ump uh, the second second one was outside or high and then he called it a strike anyway so then it got in your head and then you were kind of like oh now I gotta deal with the, the the ump and the the real pitch and what I think it is and what I think he thinks it's gonna be and then you know I was all messed up and I was in my and then everybody's what is people gonna think it's a, all that stuff it's true right um, so so they're kind of like so who are you to tell us about, you know, you should go up and be like this at the plate and all that. Now, I think this is a great opportunity to illustrate a few things. I think one is that it's still true that to the extent I apply, you know, a framework of objective optimism toward an at-bat, I succeed and I have succeeded. And to the extent I do get inside my own head and think about what other people are going to think or think about that, the, you know, that the defense is going to, they're just, it's going to be hit to one of them for sure, or the pitcher's got it, he's just got me, and I just, all these doubts, if I bring all that up there, yeah, I am going to do do poorly. So, the other point is that it's not easy, and it's not like I'm here saying, hey, I'm this guy who just, you know, is perfectly objective optimist down the, down the board, down the whole column. Uh, I keep referring to this these columns because I think about my table that I created on, uh, you can see it online, if you go to matthewbolton.blog, I have a full essay about what is objective optimism, and then I also have a few other posts that are kind of revised excerpts from the essay to kind of present it out in piecemeal. Um, And in that essay, there is a clear table that you can look at, and I think that's really a great place to start, besides the definition part, and really see at a glance what what the different mindsets look like compared to each other in various aspects. And, uh, yeah, so it's not, it's not necessarily obvious or easy to be an objective optimist down the board. Um, and certainly, as I said, there's even a section in the essay that I call, before I, before I present the table, I call it Don't Take It Personally as a subheading. And I thought I was preempting a kind of something that might put up a defense from somebody trying to look at this 
objectively and really accept it because they would say maybe they kind of identify more of a, of a as a pessimist and think well I'm yeah that's kind of true but I'm not all these things this is not what I am I'm you know I can I think it's a you know a good framework to to look at life it's a realistic framework for example and then an objective optimist might like me might say this is what I am fundamentally but yet I exhibit pessimistic behaviors as you can see on a uh, you know, at an at bat or something. So everybody's going to be mixed. The idea is to look at this framework, see if it makes sense to you, and then try as hard as you can to adopt the behaviors of an objective optimist. See if we can become an objectivist optimist all down the column. And that's what I strive to be every day. Um, so if I think about this and how do I apply it to the coming season, right? We're in the off season now, it's the winter. Well, maybe I could get out to the batting cage, right? And then I can start to, um, as the pitches come in, concentrate on what I can do, get my elbows up or loosen my grip, get my feet set properly, uh, all the various things you might do. And then when I do start to get a flow, pay good attention to what have I put together to make this happen. And that way, when I do go at bat, I can come in with a confidence, right? So what I mean is that I have evidence, I create evidence to make it, to make me confident that I can do this. So the alternative to the pessimistic attitude, which I think is defeating and, and will lead to failure at bat, would be what people often put in place is what I've called here the subjective optimist. And that's a person who just says, you know, you just got to believe in yourself, man. Just got to bring the positive energy. Just believe. Just, you just believe you can do it. And I'm not against positive energy, right? You can ask my teammates. Maybe I bring a little too much all the time. But I want directed positive energy. I want objective uh, objective energy, right? So something directed towards objective reality or what we can do. So I want my confidence to be founded on something, right? Confidence comes from knowing. And the main point of this, of that example, um, was that all things being equal, I want an objective optimist on my team, right? As a as a striker in soccer, or you know, as a as a scorer, as a offensive player at bat. In any situation, you want somebody who is focused on what they're doing and thinks they can do it. So that was all that. I'll put that away. It's it's a you know I'm here. This isn't even published yet, so obviously my boys haven't heard it or seen it. I'm just imagining this scenario of them coming at me. And that's their job to, to try to to try to rip rip me, and look, I'm an easy target. So, um, what I'm looking at today is what what I call here is meaning and optimization in daily life. So the idea is like we can see that applied to an at bat or applied to as we saw before in horrible situations like a concentration camp. If you go back and listen to episode two, you can see. Um, I thought they were quite. It was a helpful way to illustrate the different mentalities. But what I want to know is what's at stake in regular life. Most of us are not dealing with those kind of challenges of concentration camps, and certainly not challenges of hunger. Um, we're actually dealing with opposite problems of overabundance and then too many choices. And how do we deal with that and the stress that comes with that? Um, we're not facing uh, threats from natural climate or disease. Um, and anything like that, we always we face problems more of what kind of work should we pursue? What kind of recreation ought we ought we to pursue? Um, how do we build 
and maintain rewarding, healthy relationships? How do we achieve good physical and emotional health? In a word, how do we thrive or how do we become happy and thrive or flourish? And that's what I want to know here. And I want to say among these three frameworks, which one will lead to, when applied consistently, will lead to flourishing? So the idea of how to do this, there's so many various lives and so many different kinds of people and so many scenarios I could create and then again apply objective optimism, pessimism, and subjective optimism to the scenario. But I think um, what I did in, in my essay is I chose one example and I'll start here and then I'll give a couple more uh, in a bit. But I'll start here and I, because recently it was Christmas. I was watching A Christmas Carol, the Jim Carrey one I, I, I watched. And then I also watched this other movie, um, The Man Who Invented Christmas. It's a 2017 movie where it depicts Charles Dickens creating the movie and this, the kind of existential circumstances around that uh, that he had to deal with, plus his internal, uh, you know, creating the story and dealing with his imagination or depicting his imagination and meeting the characters, etc. It's a really fun uh, Christmas movie, by the way. I would really recommend that. Um, and as I was watching, though, both movies, it struck me, uh, the character of Scrooge is a famous character. Everybody knows Scrooge, right? He's the big miser. He's the grumpiest, bah humbug. He's a, he's a typical pessimist. And I thought he's a great example of what it means to switch your mindset. And I think a lot of people have an idea that, yeah, they could be optimistic if things were better. But... Look, in reality, things are like this. Look at how they are. How can I not look at these problems I have? And I don't want to discount people's problems, but I do want to suggest that maybe they are overvalued. And people think that with that, they go, if the conditions of my life changed, I would be happy. But what I want to point out and highlight with Scrooge is that the conditions of his life were the same while he was both. While he was a pessimist, is the same. Nothing else changed. The only single factor that changed with Scrooge was his mindset. Um, it was basically an attitude that changed. He went from misery to happiness, literally with the switch of perspective. So to be clear, right, he didn't um, you know, invent reality or pretend that things were different than they were. That is what the subjective optimist does, right? He just basically recognized and appreciated things that he already had. And that's what I'm suggesting people do here. What I'm proposing to you is not to just kind of ignore things or to say, just kind of pretend things are good when they're not, pretend situations are better and just, you know, try to make virtue out of something that's not virtuous, etc. But to quit overvaluing negative things around you and the even greater crime of undervaluing good things in life. And this is what Scrooge did. He undervalued the good things around him. And I think that's what a lot of us do. I think that uh, a lot of the doomsday scenarios we hear from people, like those kind of uh, ideologies, and then personal um, attitudes and personal approaches to life that emphasize negative things or pessimistic approaches, they do overvalue the negative side of life. But I also think more so they undervalue the good. People kind of, and if you look at the table, if you refer to, refer to my table, I do have uh, one section where the objective optimist uh, has appreciation, which I think is 
kind of one of the biggest keys of the whole thing. And in episode one, I said how that is kind of what started me off kind of building from there, this whole framework, but appreciation. And whereas pessimists and subjective optimists take things for granted. So the pessimist takes things for granted and is kind of emphasizing the negative. The subjective optimist also undervalues the good. They don't really recognize the real good in their lives. They just kind of say, pretend things are great, I guess. And I think that that's uh, the greatest, the greater moral crime, besides emphasize, overemphasizing the negative. The lesson for the rest of us in watching Scrooge is that if we wait for something to happen or until we attain such and such before we we're happy, it won't matter either way if you do attain that thing. So I'm going to break away from Scrooge for a second. I'll come back and tie it together with something else as I as I get there. Um, I'll just give a couple examples. Again, there are various lives. Hopefully, though, as you hear an example, you can kind of apply it to your own situation and and recognize the you know take out the principles from it and then see um, how this kind of resembles you or doesn't, and uh, in whatever way, and see how you might change your own focus. So one is I was. Uh, I saw Bill Burr was on the Sarah Silverman show like last year or something, a couple of years ago maybe. And one part of it, again, stood out to me. He was telling a story about being at the airport and ordering an avocado toast with salmon on it or something. And of course, Bill Burr tells it a lot more colorfully, a lot uh, brighter language as well. I'm not going to do any of that. I'll just give you the basic idea of what he said. And uh, he said, so he ordered the toast. He said it was like 15 bucks and one person started working on it and then they just gave up and left and another person came in and started working on it. And he was getting annoyed and the person recognized that. So they started getting angry and said, started saying, well, you know, we have to put the toast in the toaster a couple times and we got to like scoop out the avocado and we got to do... And he was saying, why is this person breaking it down to me? And he got so annoyed that he just left, right? <laughs> he, he took his banana with him and that was, that was overripe and he threw it away and he just left. He had already paid and left and everything. He was so upset. And then he says like, I hate people that hate their jobs, right? Now, of course, Bill's a little pessimistic himself, but he's more playing that up um, as, a, as a gag. But so I don't think he... I mean, he hates this this attitude, certainly. But he says, I hate people that hate their jobs. And he's like, he said, I had the same job. I had all these same jobs. And I crushed it, right? And he's right. You know, um, he said, if, uh, you know, if you don't want to try this job, then uh, because you think you deserve a better job, then you're never going to be happy when you get there anyway. You're never going to be good at that job either. You're going to be miserable all the way. And I just thought, yeah, I, I can see exactly what he's talking about. And I have a, a similar experience, and, and you get this experience, people have probably all had similar experiences, um, but one stands out to me uh, last year perhaps or something. I was at a shopping mall with my wife and outside one of these places in Korea that's similar to like the Gap or something, there was this bin that had some some old, some generic t-shirts for like five bucks or something. I was like, oh, you know, look, maybe I'll grab a t-shirt or two. Everybody needs generic uh, different colored t-shirts, don't we? So I grabbed a, grabbed a couple and I went up to the to the teller and she is just I don't she didn't say anything to me. I just put my stuff down and she just started ringing it in and then she said the price to me and I gave her the money but just enough to indicate what the price was and nothing at all. Kind of really grumpy about it and almost 
like annoyed that I'm trying to buy something from her store. And then I took the, took the thing back. She gave me the, put it in a bag at least and gave it to me. And that was it. And I just said, you know, thank you, trying to push it, you know, maybe hint a little bit of positivity. I said, thank you. And I walked away and I told my wife right away though. I was like, oh my God, that girl. And look, I can, I can uh, accept that people have bad days and maybe she's dealing with some stuff. I don't know. But I, I can maybe, I think I can tell the difference between somebody who is kind of gloomy for a reason, but they can still kind of courteously talk to somebody and, and they might be a little down or dejected about something and still say, oh, you know, can I help? Did you get everything? And okay, thanks, thank you, and something. It wasn't like that. I got the impression that it was just somebody who was just thinking that, why do I have this job? What do I, you know, why should, why should I be doing this? Right. Um, I should have something else. And I, again, the focus would be more on where you think you deserve to be. And this is a lot of where the sense of entitlement that people have these days. And I think entitlement is completely, uh, directly related to this idea of taking things for granted, of undervaluing the good. So we don't undervalue the good, and therefore we're constantly looking at what other people have and where I might be sometime, and not looking at where I am and choosing to enjoy it. And that's where, if we go back to episode one, I, the, the first thing that got me off was Alex Epstein's Human Flourishing Project episode, where Cultivating Appreciation, it was called, where he told the stories of the trolley driver and the Uber driver, and how he was struck by by the heartening way in which they took their jobs, how they saw things and just were pleased with what they were doing. And uh, that's kind of, uh, that's kind of the, the big, that's the main difference in people's lives is not existential situa- situations. So as a final example, I'd like to just look at some students, two students, not specific students, but hypothetical students. And I see these types in my class. I teach English conversation at Hanshin University in Korea. And I get students coming in to class and I usually say, hey, how's it going? What's up? And people are like, tired, right? Um, it's a typical answer. Uh, okay, etc. Not good. And then they go on. Some of them are just kind of being playful and joking, but some of them I can see are really constantly gloomy. And I can imagine where they're coming from. I think they're up earlier than they'd like to be. They get on a on a subway and it's a long commute and then they've the subway's kind of crowded, hot or whatever else. They don't get a seat and then it's a long way. Then they've got to transfer onto a bus and then they come to school. And then at school they don't really like their major. They don't see many prospects in their future. And I'll give them a little bit of the last. I, I think there's a lot. There's a lot of uh, kind of roadblocks in the way these days, where students don't feel like they have as much control over their lives. But I'm not going to focus on that now. It's another show, another topic. But anyway, they've got this kind of whole attitude, and it's not necessarily unreal. These things are true. The subway can be crowded and discouraging. But there's another student you can imagine who gets up in the morning and thinks today's a great day. Yeah, I've got a long commute. I'm going to plan for that. I'm going to do something productive while I'm on it or something entertaining. I'm going to enjoy my show or I'm going to get some homework done that I didn't do last night. I slept instead so I could do it on here. Um, whatever whatever way they want to kind of make the most out of their commute. 
and they understand that they have to transfer. It's not a surprise that it's going to take this long. So they get ready. Then they come to school with a great attitude and they say, you know, I'm ready. I like, I want to learn English. I want to practice my English. I'm here for this. I like this class. I, I like my, my school. I feel good about my life and about my friends and about things that are going on. They just have the same circumstances, different attitude. I'll tell you one thing that's common though, and this is where I'll tie it back to Scrooge, is that a lot of them, when we have any discussions related to happiness, they always seem to think that if they had some more money, that they would be happy. And this is kind of one example of what I call looking forward to the positive future. So I say two, two ways you can ignore what's good in your life or evade is to look at the negative present, which is part of it, and that's that's what pessimists do, and also look at the positive future. So look at where you hope to be and where you want to be. It's a good exercise to know where you'd like to go and kind of have ideas about what you hope, and, and you can look forward to that. And I'm excited about things that are going to happen. But to keep your focus on it all the time is counterproductive, right? As I said in a, another article... If you don't appreciate what you have now and never do at, in the present, you'll never be happy by definition because if you're not, a, you know, by definition, if you're not aware that you have the thing that you have, you cannot enjoy the emotional result. So that even means, let's imagine, it's like, no, 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 but if I did have that, so even when you get to that point, if you ar- arrive at that point and you go, I have this, if you don't appreciate it then and you're looking forward to the next one, you're not going to enjoy that. I think actually if you would like to look, a really good look at that is my original article, Optimism is Realism, Where's Your Focus? This was my semi-misguided attempt that led me to kind of clarify and really formulate this this new conception of objective optimism versus subjective optimism. Um, But I still think in all it presents a good idea of what appreciation, the element of appreciation in in objective optimism and how it – how powerful it is in someone's life. So that I recommend that. But uh, going back to it, is that they all think like, oh, if I won the lottery. So their problems is basically all about not being rich. And part of the theme of this show is that we are rich, right? We are wildly rich. And if you say, well, maybe you think that now because you're somehow in a good, better position than I was. Remember my what I said in the first episode about um, living in Shinchon in Seoul, when I showed my wife that little box I was living in, she cried thinking about me living in that place, right? That's how pathetic it was. Yet at that time, I thought I was doing really well in the big city and having, living this great rich life, right? And that's a lot, and I'm way far ahead from where I was then. So, I mean, I was poor. I was a poor guy, and now I call myself middle class, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> I was feeling good about my situation. I knew I was rich at that time. And my students ought to know they're rich. And again, this is going to be another show to really kind of prove this point, I guess, or really offer a lot of strong evidence that it's the reality. But the thing, it doesn't matter whether we're at that stage or a later stage. What matters is, do we take the things for granted and not understand them or recognize them and appreciate them or do we appreciate them and enjoy them at the time and we can dismantle this argument pretty easily the idea that money will make you happy because i just asked the students i say so how do we explain the rich people who are unhappy right there's a lot of 
drug abuse, alcoholism, even suicide, uh, depression rates are high. And this is this is all through rich people as well as poor people. So how do we explain these miserable rich people? And then how do we explain happy poor people? Right? There are there are both. So it's easy to see that it's not about the money. And you know, it's more money, more problems, right? Everybody's got problems at every stage. I I say sometimes a baby's got stress. They've got a whole stressful life. They've got good things and positive things about being that. Then in you know, infanthood and childhood, elementary school, junior high students. Well, imagine the stress of adolescence that comes with that. Is that the most stressful period? Well, what about when you're in high school and then you go to university? What about that stress? You're trying to about to enter the job market and you don't, you know, you don't really have as many skills as you might hope or as many prospects as you might hope. What about then when you're my age or when you're a parent and the stresses that come with that? Oh, you don't know, right? Everybody thinks that their life is the most stressful and everybody's right. There's stresses everywhere. So whatever stage you're in, it doesn't matter. So again, with that, um, you can point back to Scrooge. Well, look at Scrooge. He was already rich. It wasn't about the money that was his problem. It was about what he chose to focus on. And we have to look at money for what it is. It's money. I think a lot of people think that somehow if they're not practicing virtue or they don't have good values, what they could, they consider good values. They think that somehow money will give them the value. So then if you get money, you'll somehow be similar to other rich people that you recognize and your life will be somehow kind of all kind of come together. And this here, I think, is a, an example of, a perfect example of subjectivism. It's a subjective, irrational attempt to reverse cause and effect. Money is an effect. It's not a cause, right? So I say, for example, if you're already a, a rod or if you're already somebody who's not virtuous, then money will just help you destroy yourself more quickly. And if you're somebody who's already virtuous and already on a good track, money can then help you project you forward. And I so a lottery win will not necessarily destroy a person, but it could. Um, but here I'm saying that the secret is to be happy now with what you have, to appreciate what you have, and then you build upon it. And then when you do find yourself in a better position, you can say, wow, this is great. This is even better than before. Uh, you can enjoy the greater abundance that you've achieved. But the main point is we need not wait for any such existential improvement right? We can choose optimism right now. So on this idea of appreciation and focus, let me give you one quote from the essay. It's near the end. Uh, The quote is, choosing to focus on and appreciate what one has can lead to the development of all other characteristics listed in the OO column. And again, I'm referring to the table in the OO column. We've got all the kind of characteristics and the practical and emotional results that, that ensue or that are all correlated and connected and integrated. And that just that that one focus, the focus that you can choose today, now, like Scrooge did, can help develop the other ones. Um, it's not focusing on things that are not there, right? Either overvaluing the negative as per pessimism, nor pretending that things are good uh, or pretending good things exist which don't, as is the method of the subjective optimist. And it's that caricature of optimism that. I want to discredit. Let's eradicate it. Let's get rid of it. Why is it always that guy, right, that we put? You know, we have pessimism. We say, well, what's the alternative? I guess optimism. Let's 
and then it's that guy. It's this, uh, you know, everything's okay, even though, like I said, his hair's on fire, and he's just saying it'll all be good. And then people go, well, geez, that's, I mean, this is more realistic. I'm going to be a pessimist, I guess, because it's just a better, it's a more rational position. And I'm saying, well, this is a false alternative, right? Why can't we be optimistic and be rational and be objective and be adult? And I think that we have to grant the intellectual high ground to the genuine, rational, objective optimist. So that's it for what is objective optimism as a kind of formal presentation, an initial presentation. Um, obviously, it's going to be implied in everything we do in the future, but, um, but that's it for that part. Now, I don't know how, it's, how I've done here. I don't know how it's come across and whether you know, I've covered everything. Certainly, there's a lot more, which is why I still say, you know, read the full essay. Nobody's going to, nobody wants to read the essay, but you could read the full essay or read some of the excerpts from uh, the essay to get it in a more clear form. This is extemporaneous, and and I don't know if I've said everything clearly. How else can we clarify it, though? You. You can ask questions. If you ask me questions about something, I can see the holes that I've left or something I haven't covered properly. And it might not be just because I failed here. It might just be that it's not even there and I have to rework what's going on. Um, so I really would appreciate you ask me questions about this, about anything you've heard in any of the episodes so far, and of course in the future. And um, you can do that at matthew.asknow at gmail.com, matthew.asknow at gmail.com. And of course, uh, more easily, you can just go to matthewbolton.blog and you can get information on whatever's going on, including my contact information. So in the meantime, uh, I'd appreciate it also if you share this with somebody you think might get value from it or just sharing it at large. Um, obviously, subscribe on whatever medium you, you uh, consume on. Like all of those things that we can help spread the word, get connected with more people, and then we can all... Uh, empower ourselves even further. So until then, uh, have a great day. Go and crush your day. Mr. Brightside, your time out to refresh, refuel, and refocus your mind and energy toward building an optimistic framework for flourishing. Life is good. It's up to you to choose the bright side. <laughs>